Welcome to Sobriety Unleashed, the podcast that helps you master sobriety and change your life. I'm Simon. And I'm Ellen. And today we're talking about the hardest parts of quitting drinking. And for many people, that's not just the alcohol. There's so much more that comes up when we change our relationship with drinking. Ellen, what was the hardest part of quitting drinking for you? Well, initially, it was the fears that I had about giving up alcohol. And the biggest fear that I had was not knowing who I would be without alcohol in my life. It really was. It had been such a huge part of me since I was about 13. And I didn't know any different. And nobody else knew me as anybody any, any different. I was party girl. And after I had the kids and I went back to drinking, it was like, yay, party girl's back. And I thought it was so much fun. I thought I was so much fun with alcohol. I didn't know who I was going to be without it. Uh, And there were so many fears that I had. I don't know about you. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think the fears kept me stuck for a very, very long time. And I had so many false beliefs about alcohol that it helped me have fun. It helped me relax. It helped ease my anxiety, you name it. And in fact, I often talk to the people I work with as a sobriety coach. I put a question to them, which is what's at risk? What's at risk if I make this change in my life? Many people don't really consider it. But when you start shining a light on it, it might mean that the dynamic of our relationship changes and things that we've had that have been very familiar for us for a very long time will shift when we make a big life change like that. And for some people, that can be enough to keep them stuck in those negative patterns of behavior. So I think kind of getting clear on it, but also approaching it very much as an experiment and with an open mind and kind of seeing what comes up, gathering the data on the journey can help you overcome those fears. And I I believe there's only one antidote to something that you have a fear around, and that is to find the courage and to step up and actually do it otherwise we're going to stay stuck for a very very long time what else came up did you experience cravings when you quit I did the initial 10 days to be honest were rubbish and the habit more than anything we had this habit that my husband would come home from work we would have a gin and tonic to start with I'd have wine while I was cooking and then wine again as we were eating and just breaking that habit the initial habit was really really difficult Um, and I tell people the first 10 days you have to be aware it's going to be quite difficult but that does come to an end there's an end in sight with that and knowing that there's an end in sight with the real difficulty of breaking the habit kept me focused after the 10 days I was so much different I got to kind of 15 and thinking yeah this is this is much easier now but the cravings were there the cravings were real after 15 days it got much easier and I was only initially aiming for 30 days so I had that in sight all the time I knew that I could go back to alcohol if I wanted which is I had done numerous amount of times I've done my 30 days I'd gone back to alcohol thinking that I was treating myself so the cravings can be difficult but distraction for me was the main way that I got through those cravings getting out of the house at that witching hour going and doing something else I've had a very similar experience in terms of cravings and also very similar in terms of that habitual behavior with it being an evening activity into a routine with my wife. We'd have our dinner. Often I'd have a beer with my dinner. Then we'd sit down in front of the TV, 
I'd break open a wine box and keep on drinking for as long as I possibly could. And when I did finally quit, it was really over the first week that the most challenging cravings came up. I think it peaks at around 72 hours. I think it's scientifically shown to be around day three that is among the most challenging. So I always say to people, day three to five, if you can get past that point, you're going to start feeling more mentally resilient. You're going to be all be feeling calmer, more grounded, you're going to start noticing some of those positives. But it can be really tough to navigate. And I think there's two types of cravings. There's the low level craving that kind of hangs around for a really long time, like for a day or even longer. And then there's the craving that hits you out of the blue and sweeps you off your feet. And I think you're right in terms of what you said about distraction can be an excellent strategy. But I think kind of energetically matching and noticing the type of craving that you're having is really important so if you have one of those high energy cravings that just comes out of nowhere and sweeps you off your feet then a high energy distraction is really sensible if it's a low level kind of craving just in the background then maybe something a bit calmer like meditation or breathing exercises or yoga is more appropriate so actually getting mindful about the type of craving and having some strategies jumping jacks is always a good one when it's a high energy craving what else did you (laughs) distract yourself with I um I made sure that I got out of the house for sure it was and I prepared for it as well I told my mum I told my husband my mum lived with us I am giving up for 30 days please do not offer me alcohol because I will find it so difficult and you're right that kind of 72 hours the first two days you're really motivated I'm going to do this I've got this I know my reasons 72 hours you're thinking hmm Are those reasons still valid? Do I really want this? And that's when I felt really uh, overwhelmed. Do I want this actually? So being very clear on my reasons why I was doing it, it was so important for me and keep on remembering those. And I I know trying to get people to journal, what is your reason why? Be very, very clear. So when that motivation starts to go and the cravings come, you know your reasons why, you're very clear on it. And with reasons why, I mean, it is the foundation of making this change successfully, in my opinion. If you think about any time you've ever wanted to do anything, accomplish anything in your life, I've said it before and I'll say it again, you've got to have a strong reason why. The stronger the reason why, the more determined you become, the more able you are to smash obstacles out of your own way. If your reason why is a bit flaky, then you're probably going to flake out fairly early on. So it's really important to have a super strong reason and why and get clear on it I made a non-negotiable I said I'm not going to put alcohol in front of my wife or in front of my son and I stuck to that and that meant not drinking again yeah that is something actually I'm talking to my husband about at the moment whether you put alcohol what do you put it in front of Uh, where do we prioritize it it is ridiculous when you actually are mindful of that and you start to look at it at it I was the same with the kids I would be drinking in the evenings and that was my time and that's what I saw it as it was okay I've given you my energy and my time but now is the evenings and it's my time and I'm going to sit with my glass of wine and I'm going to put you to bed so that you're out of the way which looking back is just horrendous it's not the type of parent I wanted to be so being very clear on that actually these are my reasons why these are the reasons why I don't want to drink these are the reasons I want to stay sober and then for me they're two different things there's the negatives and this is looking into the future this is the person that I want to be the parent I want to be the partner I want to be um, and the person I want to be yeah and it takes a bit of time to get there I mean I'm just well three and a half years alcohol free now and some of those 
aspects around parenting and being the partner I want to be I still feel to a degree I'm a bit of a work in progress I wouldn't say I'm perfect but I'm a hundred a thousand percent better than I used to be I can remember reading my son a story when he was very small in bed and him wanting another one and other people have told me this same thing as well and I just wanted to get downstairs and drink the wine so I refused and actually since I quit drinking most evenings he comes downstairs and if we're watching a tv series he'll sit and watch it with us and it's almost like he feels safe now yeah absolutely they know what version of you they're going to get and again yeah I'm the same as you I'm a work in progress for sure I am not brilliant I'm definitely not Mary Poppins when it comes to my children but they know what version of me they're going to get they know that I have my days where I'm angry or I am frustrated but they aren't kind of looking at me thinking oh what's she going to be like or is she going to be grumpy this morning because she hasn't slept very well they know who I'm going to be what kind of mum I'm going to be yeah and kids as you say they sense it I mean my son now he's nearly 17 and he still tells me he loves me and gives me hugs and things like that but when I was drinking I think it was a Jekyll and Hyde situation he didn't know yeah which version of me he was going to get one of the other benefits I was thinking about it last night I I was out with the children in the evening and the change in me of them saying mum can we go out will you take us to the park mum can we do this and me saying yeah do you know what I can I haven't been drinking that's amazing it really is just this benefit it's like a little side benefit that you don't you're not even mindful of to start off with but stopping and like oh god look at the moon tonight and I was just with them last night the moon was amazing and thinking this is something I would never have done when I was drinking I just we would have been them in bed me on the sofa Exactly. And you pay attention to it. You become more mindful, more aware, and you actually start enjoying it. You find yourself smiling at the little things, the things that alcohol had previously sucked the joy out of. Yeah. So yeah. True. But those initial 10 days were really difficult, I think. And um, I always say, I like to know that things are going to come to an end, that the hard period is going to come to an end. And I remember when I had the children I went to um, antenatal classes and the woman was describing to me this is what a contraction is and she was saying it's 40 seconds and then it stops and I remember thinking I can do anything for 40 seconds that's fine and it was it was really painful but I didn't have any drugs I didn't have any gas and air because I knew that 40 seconds it was going to stop and it's the same with sobriety it is really uncomfortable and I knew it was going to be really uncomfortable but I knew that those uncomfortable feelings and the cravings were going to come to an end So you can get through it knowing that there's light at the end of the tunnel with it. Yeah, I suppose it's frustrating that unlike a contraction, you don't know exactly when it's going to end. I suppose with contractions, you don't either. They could go on for 24 hours or more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you do know it's going to get better. I think that's the important thing to to bear in mind when you give up. You can feel like this just isn't worth it. This is never going to end. I can't do it. I'm going to fail. What's the point? But actually keeping in mind, being mindful, no, this is difficult right now, but tomorrow it's going to be better or soon it's going to be better. Absolutely. And another thing that impacts a lot of people is sleep in the early stages. For me, uh, the first three or four days, I barely slept. And there was one night I woke up and I had like cold sweats going on. The sheets were wet. It was horrific. Did you have that with sleep? Did you have any problems? (sighs) I did. But actually, because I was looking at it from an experimental point of view, right, I'm going to give up for 30 days, see what happens. I looked over the 30 days and sleep was one of the biggest advantages that I had in my sobriety. That was one of the biggest 
factors in me continuing with my sobriety. When I was drinking, even if I had one glass of wine, I was waking up in the middle of the night, my heart thumping, dying of thirst, dreaming of Perrier. But I, I got through that stage. It was a couple of weeks of dodgy sleep. And then I got through and started sleeping like a baby. Um, but there's lots that people can do to set themselves up for success when it comes to sleep that, again, you just have to be mindful of not scrolling on your phone until two in the morning, setting yourself up a good routine, really setting yourself up for success. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think uh, conducting a kind of sleep audit of the environment you're sleeping in, you know, is any light seeping in? Is any noise getting into the room? Uh, some people have mattresses that they've had for 15 years and the springs are jabbing them in the ribs. That is not going to help you sleep. And I think expecting to have a few days of disrupted sleep is a small trade off in return for what you get on the other side. I can remember the morning I woke up, it was probably four or five days after I'd quit. And I woke up having slept like a baby, I felt alive, refreshed, energized, ready to take on the day. And pretty much that hasn't stopped. It was like a fog had cleared that I hadn't even noticed this fog existed. Yeah, absolutely. And it has such a, an impact on everything else. So I used to not sleep very well. I was grouchy in the mornings. I didn't have the energy. I was then tired by the afternoons. I would eat crap all day because I was so kind of lethargic. I didn't want to do anything else in the evening. I wanted to sit on the sofa and drink wine because I was so tired from my crap night's sleep from the alcohol. But as soon as I started sleeping well, it was just so many benefits came from it. I'm up in the morning. I have the energy. I have the energy to work out. I have the energy to walk. I'm in a better mood with the kids. Um, and then the knock on effects of that. I've lost weight. I feel better about myself. So that sleep it's funny because we know with children that sleep and the routine of sleep is so important to how they learn, how they function during the day, yet we don't seem to find it important for us as adults, right? It's just as important. Yeah, it's true. And we do the same in other areas as well. You know, we give love to our children, love to our partners, love to our friends, yet we often forget to love ourselves and look after ourselves I often say to people when they say to me about negative self-talk how would you talk to a friend you know do the same to yourself be your own best friend that yeah that's absolutely spot on in terms of sleep and I think having regular sleep times and just getting really mindful about that is another good strategy the other thing about having great sleep is that you are suddenly aware of if you are not sleeping well as well which is really important when it comes to your emotions and depression lack of sleep or waking up two o'clock in the morning and not being able to get back to sleep is the first sign that you're slipping into a depression so all of a sudden you're you're really mindful of it you're mindful okay something's not right because normally I sleep like a baby I know at the moment um I've been going through a real stressful time I'm coming up to nearly three years alcohol free I have slept like a baby since the first 10 days of sobriety recently my sleep isn't good I know that if I'm getting good sleep then all is well with me so it's important to keep uh, keep an eye on it. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. It's like an early warning system for other potential problems that you might want to pay attention to. Whereas when you're drinking, people think that alcohol helps them sleep. I certainly did. But all it does is knocks us out. So none of those senses or early warning alerts are actually working properly. No, you're just numbed by it completely. Yeah, that's a really good point. And another thing I think people find challenging, I certainly did, is that when we stop drinking, 
we remove the mask that we've been using and showing to the world. And we have to really look, start looking inwards and working out who we are and what we're all about, what our values are about. And we have to face up to some uncomfortable feelings in many cases. We talked this, about this a bit on the first episode, but facing into those uncomfortable feelings, that can be a challenge for many. They have a honeymoon period then there can be a period where things go a bit flat and they start feeling perhaps a bit edgy or anxious or feelings that they're just not familiar with. Did that happen to you? Yeah, absolutely. I realised that I wasn't the person that I thought I was going to be. That was the biggest eye-opener. I was like coming up to 40 and thought, holy shit, this is not who I wanted to be. It really made me reevaluate everything about me, who I was surrounding myself with, were my relationships genuine, were they based just on alcohol and some of them were just based on alcohol and I don't have those relationships anymore. The fact that I didn't really have female friends. Assessing the relationships around me. Do I have female friends? Do I want female friends? And as it turns out, since sobriety, I've made some amazing female friends who the relationships are far, far better than they ever were. But really trying to discover who I was, who I was without alcohol was, it was a journey for sure. And it started actually about nine months into sobriety. I don't know about you, but it, it was a fair way down the path. Yeah, exactly the same. I sometimes wonder if we were separated at birth, you know, because <laughs> exactly the same thing happened for me. And just bizarrely, I had no male friends. All my friends were women. I actively avoided contact with men. I mean, my father abandoned the family when I was two years old and he never took an interest in me when I was born. And I suspect there's some, well, I know that there's something there around relationships with men. But again, six to nine months into the journey that I began to explore this and take note of what was coming up. That mask wasn't there. I couldn't escape it any longer. So I had no choice but to face into it. And I actually joined a men's therapy group and found a, a safe space where I could connect with other men. I could share, I could be vulnerable. We all know each other's most intimate secrets. And these guys now feel like brothers. They feel like my best friends who I could turn to in a time of crisis. We look out for each other. And that's been a really amazing experience for me because I definitely had a fear of, about relationships with men, probably similar to what you had with women. And sobriety's changed that for me. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing to hear. It was the same for me. After nine months, the kind of sobriety lost a bit of its sparkle. I'd done it. I was okay. I've overcome the really difficult part. But then it's like assessing, well, what now? What now? Who do I want to be? I can, I've almost undone everything. I've peeled back all these layers. I feel quite vulnerable. What now? Who, who am I going to be? So I really started to assess and build relationships with people that weren't based around alcohol I signed up for every class I've said this before every class um okay I'm going to get out there I remembered I used to love going out to to Zumba and yoga and I hadn't done yoga in 13 years and I was I started to qualify as a teacher and just never gone back to it I signed up for all these things and I reached out to people and said do you want to come with me and it's great because not only did fitness distract me, but I started to build all these relationships and they're so much stronger than they ever were before I gave up alcohol. And yeah, women used to scare the hell out of me, but actually in the sober community, you find other people, other women cheering other women on, which is really rare and I love. Yeah, exactly. And now look, now you're the founder of Sobriety Sisterhood. I know. It's all about the women. <laughs> It's a strange, I still have to pinch myself over it, but it's great. The connections I've made have been amazing. 
And this all goes back to what I said at the start as well, like what's at risk? If you think about it, and as I also said at the start, you know, this is not necessarily about the alcohol. There's This is a journey. And I can see just from us talking about this, that it might actually put some people off thinking, oh my God, I've got to go on this journey. I'm going to peel back all these layers of the emotional onion. I'm going to find out all these things about myself. And on top of that, I'm not going to be able to sleep for a week. Why the hell bother? Yeah, absolutely. But do you know what? It's a journey that I kept on experimenting with for years before it stuck. And alcohol is always there to go back to. It is always there. If you do, you start experimenting, you're like, yeah, sobriety is not for me. It is always there. Your, your comfort's always there. But I do guarantee kind of once you start on the journey and you really are mindful of the benefits and you realise that actually you can be whoever you want to be, then you're never going to want to go back to alcohol. No. And I think the biggest thing that I found in sobriety is a sense of actual peace in my life. And I've replaced chaos for peace. And there is chaos at times, don't get me wrong. But there's a lot more peace and calmness now, which just didn't, well, rarely existed beforehand. And I think it also helped me show up in the world as my authentic self. And I didn't even know what that authentic self was when I was drinking. I was just showing up as this persona that I didn't really know or understand and when I quit I was able to sort of look at my values really work out what I liked what I enjoyed and get clear on how I was opposing my values what I was doing that matched my values and start kind of refining my life so it fitted with as you say the person that I wanted to be did you actually look at your values did you sort of put a list together and get clear on them I did but that was quite far down my journey I started in reflection okay so I've done this I've removed alcohol and who was I with it and I used to use it for confidence going into a crowd of people or you know at a party in hindsight I just was really uncomfortable in my own skin I I hated being around other people I needed that kind of mask whereas now with the relationships that I have with women, I know that I'm showing up as my authentic self. I know that I am sticking to my values. I know that, as you said, there's like this inner peace that I never had. So life is life. It, it's chaotic. But I can approach every situation calm and know that I have a clear head, which is so important. And the turning up as my authentic self and being liked, not everybody likes me, that's fine. But the relationships that I have now are so much deeper because I know they like me for the true me. Um, and that has been the biggest thing. I finally, after 40 odd years, feel uh, comfortable in my own skin, which I never did before. Yeah, almost everybody that I work with, and I would absolutely put myself in this category, is very all or nothing when it comes to the way they show up in the world. Um, and I find that with people who tend to drink regularly or heavily, they're all or nothing type people. And I work with an emotional healing coach and she often points out to me when I'm being all or nothing. And I've really got quite good at catching myself when I do it now. But I recall I went to a retreat some years ago and the lady said to me that I should apply a 20-60-20 rule. 20% 20 of people will love you and they'll be your super fans and adore everything you do. 60% won't really care and 20% probably don't like you and that's okay. You can't have it 100%. It can't be all or nothing. And that actually really helped me. And I often just reflect back at that when perhaps somebody doesn't like me and just think, well, that's okay. Not everybody yeah. does. Yeah. 
but being clear-minded about it as well is actually I can feel if somebody's energy is off with me that's okay I'm clear-minded enough to not use alcohol to kind of force myself to fit into that situation I can kind of put some boundaries up and go actually I don't want to be around that person that I have bad energy with and that I don't click with and it's not necessarily that I don't like them it's just that I I feel more kind of attracted to being around somebody that the energy is good and yeah and they're gonna cheer me on and I'm gonna cheer them on in life yeah because of my issues around rejection and abandonment when I was drinking I wanted everybody to like me the fear that somebody may not like me that they may reject me was too much but I couldn't see it I wasn't even aware of it at the time I just knew that I had this strong desire for everybody to like me so I would show up in with whatever persona was necessary for that person to like me I spent my whole life as these different versions of myself wearing all these different masks to make sure nobody didn't like me so now maybe I should get really conscious about it and make people like me less <laughs> you could try that but it's uh, it's so tiring not being your authentic self I mean it's so much easier just to be like this is me like me hate me it doesn't matter because I quite like me now and that's the first time god it's the first time I've been able to say that really when I was drinking I'd never been able to say that I often talk about self-love and I think yeah, you know, perhaps that's a goal that we're all working towards and it's a place to get to and I do believe that until we're able to at least like ourselves or ideally love ourselves we find it hard to give true un particularly unconditional love to other people but I would say I'm at the stage of liking myself and moving towards loving myself I think loving's probably a bit strong I'm not quite there yet but liking's way more than it used to be yeah, absolutely. Me too. It's a good place to be, though. As you say, it's peaceful. It's so much more yeah, peaceful than it was before. It is. Well, I think ultimately we probably had a lot of self-loathing and hatred towards ourselves before. That's that's a reality. <laughs> it is a reality. And I don't even know when that happened. It was just, you know, alcohol was there. I used it. And all of a sudden there I was caught in the grips of it. And I don't know when that happened that I was just using it because I was not very confident using it because I wanted to fit in with everybody else. But in hindsight, it just, it wasn't great for me. And sobriety suits me so much more. And I'm, I'm sure it will suit everybody else as well. Yeah, you wear it well. Thank you. <laughs> it's true though. I think we, and alcohol does a job. It actually distracts us from those uncomfortable feelings when we do feel like we're not good enough. We hate ourselves. We loathe ourselves. You drink and it stops you feeling that way for a short period of time. But it, all it does is hits the pause button. You wake up the next morning and all that stuff's still there, usually with a hangover on top. Oh yeah. And it just exacerbates it. It just, yeah. you get on this merry go round of self-loathing. Um, did I make an idiot? of myself was I did people actually find me funny or was I not funny and okay I'm ashamed I feel anxious about what happened and you you're back in this merry-go-round of I'll have a drink because I don't know if they really like me whereas you, you take that alcohol out and you're showing up as your authentic self and you're like okay they do like me those ones don't that doesn't matter and you're keeping yourself safe not drinking is a boundary all on its own which protects you emotionally in so many ways yeah so I completely agree. Um, just want to touch on before we wrap up about boredom and loneliness, because I, I don't know about you, but I get a lot of messages from people who quit drinking. They feel bored or they feel lonely. And obviously they're two different topics. And uh, my experience of this was 
when I stopped drinking, I did find I had a lot of time on my hands. I didn't want to repeat the same old routines. There's a phrase that says, if you sit in a barber's shop for long enough, you're going to get a haircut. Now I'm completely bald, so it doesn't really apply to me. But if, you know, if we find ourselves bored and then decide that we're just going to keep going up the pub like we used to, then we're probably going to end up drinking. So I actually put myself out there a bit like you talked about you know joining clubs I would replace going to places where there are alcohol with a trip to the cinema with my son or going out with my wife and I did that for quite a while I didn't go anywhere socially where I felt that I might be at risk for a couple at least a couple of months until I felt strong enough um, loneliness wasn't an issue for me but what was your experience of boredom and loneliness um, boredom was a massive issue for me but do you know what I discovered was that I had become a boring person from drinking and that was a real eye-opener I had turned into someone who just sat on the sofa every evening drinking and I didn't think I was ever going to be like that so when I gave up alcohol yeah I've suddenly discovered all this extra time and in fact I worked this out with somebody the other day so I would say alcohol stole eight hours a day from me I would start drinking at five probably in the evening and then that was my evening gone whether I continued to drink or not it was my evening gone I couldn't do anything so it was six hours in the evening and then there was a couple of hours in the morning that I was too groggy to do anything so I've suddenly got eight hours a day back that's nearly three hours three thousand hours a year and I used to say I don't have time to work out I don't have time to start a business I don't have time to do all the things that I'm passionate about but actually all of a sudden I've got another 3,000 hours in a year to put towards that so I had to fill that time so yeah to beat the boredom signing up and getting out there and focusing on something that you're passionate about as well that was a real thing for me and being part of the sober community and getting out there then helps with the loneliness as well it's there is a fantastic sober community online like-minded people but loneliness is a killer eh? and it does crop up a lot with people that I work with and the opposite to loneliness is connection I guess so you're absolutely right finding connection is a great way to beat loneliness but you've got to put yourself out there it's no good just sort of laying on the sofa feeling sorry for yourself and waiting for somebody to knock on your door there's plenty of communities and groups we do zoom calls there's all sorts of things you can connect with Ellen and I on social media you know and just join those communities and the, the other thing you said about the time I thought that was such a really interesting calculation that you did the 3,000 hours but in addition to the hours that you lose when you start drinking, the couple of hours in the morning, for me, and I'm sure for you, there was a lot of time during the day where my mental bandwidth was being used thinking about drinking, or oh, I can drink later, or if something bad happened, I would use alcohol to turn me away from those negative and uncomfortable thoughts. So I think of it a bit like a broadband line coming into my house now. I have a lot more emotional bandwidth and just general space in my brain that alcohol used to be taken up my connection was pretty slow before because it was clogged up with all these thoughts of alcohol so actually the eight hours a day might be more like 10 or 12 when you factor in how much of your mental bandwidth is being used 
Yeah, um, absolutely. And the other thing just to touch on, you said about finding something you love and a hobby. If anyone's finding that a challenge, there's a really easy way of doing it. And it's just to reflect on your life, particularly when you were a child and think about what it was that when you did it, you lost track of time. So for me, it was painting, writing. And as I got a bit older, exercise, particularly running and talking as well, because I have ADHD and can't (laughs) stop talking, as you probably gathered. But actually working out what you really get immersed in so much that the hours seem like minutes you just lose track of time is a great way to work out what alcohol has probably stolen from you what hobby or activity and I get messages from people saying I had one yesterday saying I've just rediscovered playing the guitar again I haven't done it since I was a teenager I've spent all this time drinking and so many people they just quit those hobbies when they start drinking so now you've quit drinking start the hobby again yeah absolutely drinking becomes the only hobby that people do and it's so sad if you kind of listed like on a a website a dating website what are your hobbies drinking would be like number one for most people and I did I went back and thought right who was I at like 13 and I used to go to sea cadets and I loved sea cadets because we would go out they would drop us in the middle of nowhere and we'd have to hike back and we'd go camping and we'd yeah go obviously rowing and things like that and I wanted I always thought I would be someone who was adventurous because as a teenager that's who I was and then I just lost all of that and I woke up one day and thought who the hell am I and how do I get back to that? I couldn't, I imagine myself climbing mountains and I couldn't actually get off the sofa because alcohol had stolen my fitness, it had stolen hours from me, it had stolen all my motivation, it had stolen my focus. You remove it and all of a sudden you've got those back and you can really focus on who you want to be. And also finding your sober community, it doesn't necessarily mean about finding a community that's sober, does it? it I signed up for things, I go to yoga, I go indoor climbing, and I've made friends and connections. So it's good. It beats the boredom and the loneliness because I found this community where alcohol is not the focus anymore. Um, and these people still drink. It's just I don't drink when I'm with them. Yeah, likewise. I belong to a fitness boot camp. I go to that three times a week. I've made loads of friends. And actually, we've moved to a new town where we don't know anybody. We've moved like 20 miles away from where we used to live. A bit like probably you experienced when you moved to France. And yeah. my wife loves dogs and she volunteers at a local dog rescue center and walks the dogs she's made loads of friends there as well so neither of those activities revolve around alcohol but if you put yourself out there and take the time to look there is plenty that you can get involved in where you'll make connection you won't feel as lonely and you're going to probably enjoy yourself and do something you love at the same time Yeah, it's almost a form of therapy as well. As you said, the art, the reading, so many people don't read anymore. But getting back to reading, it's like a self-development. It is a journey, but it's a good journey. It really is. I've been reading way too many therapy books. So I'm currently reading a book about a lady who went and lived on a desert island for 12 months. So I'll update you on uh, on what happens. Fantastic. I have just finished Russell Brand's recovery and I absolutely love that. I love Russell Brand. Um, and I didn't used to like him, but actually it's been such a good book. I'm going to share a story to wrap up with. My wife went out drinking some years ago with her friend to a town in Surrey in the U- south of the UK. And while she was out, she bumped into Russell Brand's dad and he started chatting up my wife, her and her friend and his friend. They all like got a taxi home and he was trying to get him to come into his house and uh, basically trying to pull my wife. Uh, so that's like a small claim to frame that Russell's brand da- Russell Brand's dad letched over my wife. 
That's so funny because my friend, I text my friend saying I'm, I'm reading this book, it's really good. And he said, I don't like Russell Brand. And I met his dad in a pub in Farnham and I didn't like him either. Yeah, it was in Farnham. <laughs> That's really, he must do the rounds there. Yeah, he does the rounds. From reading Russell Brand's book, some of the stories about his dad and the things they got up to are like really, really shocking. So it didn't surprise me, but my wife enjoyed a little moment of claim to fame. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, let's wrap up there. We'll see you again on the next episode of Sobriety Unleashed. So it's bye from me. And it's bye from me. <laughs> <laughs>